Truth News Network. A politician on the campaign trail once said, we choose truth over facts. I don't need to mention any names, Joe Biden. But if you think that statement is reassuring, you're probably not going to like what happens next. Because you're in the home of blunt force truth, of conservative thought, not just talk, of facts that are truth. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's Dan Newman. Did you learn anything from teaching your kids how to mind, what to believe, what not to believe, what to do, and what the consequences are of not doing what they are supposed to do? Think about that for a moment. We live in a society today where they expect, in fact, they demand no accountability. If somebody wants to do something, as long as it agrees with the political narrative of the day, which would be, of course, the far left, it's okay. If you want to identify as a pig, that's okay. If you're a, a little boy or a little girl and you want to identify as the opposite, that's okay. In fact, today we're going to give you a story about something that's going to shock all you moms and dads. It's about kids in school. I'm talking about little kids and what the left is going to, what's happening in our public education system. These are, remember, these are schools, educators, administrators that you and I are paying our hard tax dollars to support them, give them their livelihood, all of the expenses, everything they choose to do. We're finding out now there are actual history books that are all across America in some of our elementary schools teaching our children ball-faced lies about American history. And it likens back to my uh, youngest daughter's tenure at Louisiana Tech. She got a couple of degrees there. Her first degree she was going after during her first three years, she had a suite mate from Japan. And I've told this story before. Many of you may remember it. But she was shocked. They, They had a history class together, American history class. And she was shocked this girl was when she came over and the teacher talked about Pearl Harbor the initiative, the uh, in the original thing that started our war in the Pacific in World War II. We were fighting in Europe against Hitler's Germany, but we weren't in the Pacific. Pearl Harbor, a sunny Sunday morning, and here come those Japanese fighter jets and dive bombers and kamikazes and destroyed the lives of thousands of Americans that day and started Japan and the United States fighting each other. At the same time, we're fighting Germany. We're fighting Japan. That girl couldn't believe it because her entire life, Japanese history books and education, public education, it talked about World War II and Japan being in it. But Japan joined because the United States started that war in the Pacific by bombing Tokyo. We're looking at a situation now in our elementary schools, public elementary schools, where that same kind of philosophy is being propagated out there. Facts don't matter. It's whatever the political narrative of the day is, and we're going to roll that out. We're going to teach that. So think about what else could be being taught to your kids, your grandkids, if they're in public schools. 
We're going to visit about that. We've got a lot of things to visit about as well. In fact, the latest on that illegal immigrant, Francisco Oropesa, who you probably have heard about, on Friday slaughtered five Americans. And he's still on the run and nobody can find him. Nobody, at least nobody that stepped forward now, will tell the officials where he is. But there's a little leverage now out there in the marketplace. There's an $80,000 reward. I started to say bounty. (laughs) That would be a Texas thing, right? No, $80,000 reward to get this guy. And there are some circumstances that go along with him and his being here that just make this illegal immigration whole situation and how important it is. It makes it much, much clearer than it was, say, Friday of last week. Those things and much more ahead. And we're going to ride out for the news today in our big yellow taxi. They paid paradise and put up a fucking line With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot Don't it always seem to go Got till it's gone It'd be a paradise And put up a fucking line He took all the trees And put them in a tree museum And charged the people A dollar and a half to see them No, no, no Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got Till it's gone It'd be a paradise And put up a fucking line
Monday, don't you think? I kind of like songs like that. That's back from, gosh, I don't know, 80-something, 90-something? Counting Crows with Vanessa Carlton. Big Yellow Taxi. Great lines in that song, and that's what makes me remember it. How in the world would they come up with the name The Big Yellow Taxi? But The Big Yellow Taxi pulled up at the front door to take his love away. Hmm. There may be something to that. Maybe I ought to look into the rest of the lyrics, huh? Much on the horizon in the way of stuff coming right at us in our faces. Did you hear that another bank went busted? Yep, another one we're going to tell you about that in just a little bit. But let's go back to this Texas fugitive, this guy out of Mexico, Francisco Oropesa. Here's the dramatic things about it. Everybody knows now it was all over the news all weekend long. He murdered five people, just shot them dead in Texas after coming over the border and being here illegally. They, nobody, they can't find him. He's on the run. Five neighbors, it wasn't just five people, but neighbors, and he killed them execution style. This was Friday night when they complained about him firing a rifle on their property. And here's the thing that will shock everybody. This guy, the shooter, has been deported from the country five times. Five times. That information comes from ICE. The FBI yesterday said they have no leads in the search for Oropesa. He's 38 years old, a Mexican national. He's accused of the quintuple murder in Cleveland, Texas. That's actually a suburb just outside of Houston. Texas governor's office, state agencies, and the FBI are offering a combined $80,000 reward for tips to lead to his capture. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this because we all know how serious, how horrible things are coming out of our illegal immigration. Almost threw up this morning. I watched a little bit of an interview with Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over the weekend, actually yesterday on one of the Sunday morning talk shows. And he basically, he just doubled down on, tripled down on stupid. He was asked, What's the responsibility? What's the cause? Who's at fault for our poorest southern border? And he pointed his finger squarely at Congress. Congress has got to act. We've got to get Congress to do their job. Oh, the Border Patrols, Customs Agents, Border Patrol. I'm all up in helping them, assisting them in everything they do to keep us safe. But you know what? We can't do it without Congress passing some new immigration laws. He said this. He said on day one, President Biden presented a plan on how to fix our immigration system, and Congress refuses to act. Now, if you just joined us and you don't know our show or our network yet, you don't know me, or if you're out there and you may be pro-open borders, I don't know, but here are the facts. There are dozens of immigration laws on the books. Many of them have been on the books for a long time. Well, Mayorkas will agree with that. Yeah, that's the case. Joe Biden will agree with that. But look, the laws that are there, they're not fair. They're not fair. We need to be more sensitive to these illegals from not just Mexico, but all over Central and South America, for that matter, any place else. 
we need to let these people in. We need to help them achieve the opportunity, at least, of having a great life as most Americans do. Why? Because this is the freest, fairest nation on the planet. There are a lot of holes in what Mayorka said yesterday. But the one thing that toasts me, there's a reason why Congress hasn't acted on Joe Biden's illegal immigration, fixing it, whatever he calls it. And it's because they represent not Joe Biden. He got he has one vote. And it's in Delaware where he votes. One vote. Every American citizen that's registered to vote gets one vote on every issue that comes up on a ballot. So because Congress doesn't act, it's not because they're spurning Joe Biden as president. It's because they don't represent Joe Biden unless they represent Delaware where he lives. They represent the constituents across the nation in the House of Representatives in the congressional district state to state. And in the Senate, every state has two senators. Those senators don't represent a political party, don't represent a president or anybody that's elected or even a bureaucrat. They represent the people in the states and what the people's desires are. The definition of criminality is breaking laws that have been passed by the people's representatives at every level of government, local, county, or parish, if you live in Louisiana, state, and federal. Those representatives, a city council, or a state legislature, a house, or a senate in a state, they pass laws in the state, local level, that apply for the people that live there. But then the congressional House of Representatives members, they go to Washington, D.C. and represent the people that live in their states. If Congress, which is comprised by 435 representatives in the House and 100 representing in the Senate, if they don't come up with a law or a bill that even goes through both houses and then ends up on the president's desk to sign and the president doesn't sign it, the existing laws are still in place. They are to be enforced, not enforcing those laws, Secretary Mayorkas, is a criminal act. This is a representative republic. This is not a pure democracy. Our forefathers purposely constructed our government for that reason. They came from nations over in North and Northwest Europe that operated that way. It was just what the people in charge wanted. Oh my gosh, this Congress would love that if they could just do whatever they wanted to do. Forget about the people that sent them up there and the people that have the sole power to determine who's going to go serve. You sell us a bill of goods back in our congressional district sufficient for you to gain votes. You go up there, you're supposed to represent us on every issue. Can you imagine any county in Texas or New Mexico Arizona, any county voting to have open borders like we have now, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So what is happening in our nation? It's not just an illegal immigration. It's across the board. Government is ignoring the will of the people every single 
day. This is a prime example. This guy imported, uh, deported five times? Five times. Who is he? Well, he's a Mexican national. Why was he deported five times? What brought our government to kick him out five times? Obviously, some illegality other than being here illegally. That's sufficient by law to deport someone. If they're coming here for asylum and they go through the legal process for asylum, they can, if the court determines, temporarily stay here legally waiting for their asylum claim to be heard. This guy did not qualify for asylum five times, and so he was deported. He comes back in because you know why? He got in here five times, and he wants to come back here. Obvious reasons. Those are his issues, not ours. But our government, by letting the border stay open, they make those issues our issues on a personal level because our government chooses to ignore the laws. Alejandro Mayorkas chooses to ignore the laws. And now families of five Texas citizens have lost loved ones because their government, their government allowed this guy to come back in and kill those five people. Multiply that by how many times it's happened through the years and continues to in Texas over a two-year period. 600,000 criminal acts. Everything from murder to breaking and entering. 600,000 incidents happened just to Texas citizens in a two-year period at the hands of people like Mr. Oropesa. Congress doesn't like your plan, Mr. President. So represent the people and make sure your Department of Justice from top to bottom enforces the existing laws. Do it according to the laws that were passed and do it until and unless those laws were changed and then enforce the new ones. But you don't have unilateral authority or power. And quite honestly, for you to suborn the law of the people in the federal courts specifically, You're suborning criminality, Mr. Biden. It's not me. That's the law. Over the weekend, we heard about that big, big regional bank, First Republic Bank. We were warned for a couple of weeks there was trouble going on there. When that bank in California, the first big one that failed, when it went busted, news came out that First Republic was in trouble as well. Well, First Republic became the very next American bank to fail under Biden. And over the weekend, they found a buyer. The FDIC, Federal Reserve, found a buyer, J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, Chase is taking over the assets. Chase is not taking on the debt. More about that in just a second. J.P. Morgan Chase, they're taking over First Republic Bank after it collapsed. Now, that's the third major bank failure in the past two months. In a statement from the U.S. National Banking Regulator, I didn't know we had one, but I guess we do, the FDIC announced early this morning that San Francisco-based bank failed after First Republic customers 
They raided the bank. They withdrew about $100 billion of deposits over the past few days, and the bank's stock price collapsed for obvious reasons. So J.P. Morgan is going to take over all of the deposits of the bank and kind of prop it up. And by the way, the federal government put this deal together. I know that probably doesn't surprise you. All of the assets of First Republic Bank, that includes 84 offices previously operated by First Republic, and that covers eight states. That's going to open as branches of J.P. Morgan Chase this morning. In fact, most places across at least the central and the eastern part of the U.S. that have those banks, they're open now, but under a new name. According to the FDIC, First Republic had an estimated $229 billion in total assets. Now, if you're like me, you wonder, what what are those assets? I'm sure there's property involved. I'm sure there are cash deposits and bonds and all kind of stuff like that. But if they had, I mean, $229.1 billion, that's a lot of value. If the value is real and it's not just based upon some uh, arbitrary appraisal numbers, kind of like the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, does when they look at pending legislation that Congress is considering at the time. I will bet you in real numbers that $229.1 billion, it's probably worth half of that at most. Oh, by the way, they also got $103.9 billion in total deposits, meaning that it was the second largest bank failure in American history. Not just recently, but in American history. This regulator said that all deposits will continue to be insured by the FDIC. Customers don't need to worry about making changes to protect their deposit insurance. The collapse of First Republic It's going to cost the deposit insurance fund. That's the fund that banks pay into so that when banks fall, it's like a fund and they can go in and pay out any uh, depositors that should be paid out legally. And this was negotiated over the weekend. They get $13 billion put into the hands of those uh, depositors that had money in First Republic, over the $250,000 amount. Jamie Dimon, I've always liked his name. I've always thought he was a pretty good banker. He's the big guy, CEO at J.P. Morgan Chase. He said this morning the government had invited. <laughs> I, wonder if, I wonder if that's the case. I promise you, somebody in our government called Jamie and said, hey, listen, buddy, we bailed you out a bunch of times. Big money, we need you to step up here. We're going to soften the blow a little bit for you, but you got to you got to come up and take one for the nation. And so Diamond said they called us, told us to step up, and we did. He claimed the takeover would just very modestly benefit J.P. Morgan Chase, and that the assets that they get with it would be complementary to its existing holdings. Now it's going to become a political issue. You can book it. The GOP likely to brand the failure of the bank as one more casualty of Joe Biden's Bidenflation. Now, we're getting to a point now where there's really no way around that, isn't it? I mean, this is the third bank. 
to fail under Joe Biden? How many failed under Donald Trump? How many of them failed under Barack Obama and Joe Biden? Look it up. You come up with the numbers. We're at a place economically as a nation that in large part was created by the policies and the decisions of this president. They always, Democrats, when anything bad happens when they take office, they want to deflect blame and throw it over their predecessors if they were Republicans. Anything good that comes out of a Republican administration that a Democrat administration, they're experiencing it when they take office. Democrats that are in office, oh, that's because of us. They never give the GOP any credit, but anytime something bad happens, it's those evil MAGA Republicans. It's their responsibility. We tried to warn you. We tried to warn you. Now, let me ask you, in this vein, talking about losing money, because you and I are going to lose money, J.P. Morgan Chase, they're going to write off a bunch of this. They always do. Why? Because it's the federal government. They cut a deal. We don't hear about the responsibilities that are retained by we the people. Not the FDIC, because the FDIC is we the people. Taxpayers. We're going to assume a lot of that debt. Now, looking back over our shoulders, over the last two years or so, maybe even a little bit longer, do you think there's been any government waste? Do you think there is an example, you know, all these trillions that this administration has got passed in Congress or Joe Biden's taken executive action, all this money that's come out. We have inspector generals for every government agency there is. Inspector generals, they have unilateral authority and all the budget they need to go make sure that everything that happens in a federal agency, when money's involved, when specific things are supposed to be done or not supposed to be done, that's what they do. That's all they do. They go back and analyze it to see exactly what's going on. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, there's a dollar or two or three that may just be lost or mishandled or stolen? Mr. Comptroller General, what is the total amount of improper payments that GAO estimates were made last year across the federal government? Last year across the federal government, the cumulative total of the estimates made by the agencies was $247 billion. Mm. Now, I, I don't believe, Mr. Chairman, I might add, if I might, the, that estimate's not complete. There are a number of programs that were not, estimates were not made, like the Pandemic Unemployment <clears throat> Insurance Program. Since 2003, these estimates have totaled uh, $2.3 trillion. This is a, a trend that was problem before the pandemic. It got wow. worse during the pandemic. $2.3 trillion. So since 2000, it'd be roughly $2.5 trillion? That, uh, yes. $2.5 trillion. What, yeah. what are the worst programs for improper payments over that time? Over that time, uh, yeah, Medicaid program, uh, has the highest total for the last couple of years, $98 billion in 21, uh, $80 billion in 2022. Uh, Medi Medicare program, uh, it's about $47, $49 billion over the last two years. The unemployment insurance program at $78 billion in 21, about $19 billion in 22. Uh, unemployment insurance uh, excuse me, the um, earned income tax credit 
mm -hmm. uh, has been about 18 billion a year. And then in 2022, which is the first year, uh, the uh, emergency loan programs at uh -huh. SBA were $36 billion estimate. We encouraged them to make that estimate. They didn't make it in 21, but they made it in 22. That, that's sickening. L last Congress, we heard from you about the need for more oversight over pandemic relief funds. Uh, as you testified at the 2021 high-risk hearing, and I quote, when you're spending close to a trillion dollars, you also need good accountability and transparency, end quote. And guess what Congress did with that important advice that you gave this committee? It rushed out another $1.9 trillion in alleged pandemic relief. But Congress didn't stop there. Congress also spent another $2 trillion of taxpayer dollars in Green New Deal spending in the infrastructure package, CHIPS and Science Act, and our favorite, Mr. the Inflation Reduction Act, which I'm not even going to get into that. As with any massive spending bill, oversight is critical to ensure that funds are being used towards their intended purpose. What has GL learned about the federal government's ability to conduct internal oversight since your last high-risk update, and is the federal government truly equipped to oversee the disbursement of trillions of dollars under such a short time frame? There are additional members, uh, um, areas that I've recommended, both to the Congress and the executive branch, that need to be dealt with. First of all, the agencies need to implement better fraud reduction measures. That's the only real solution to this problem. You really, it's difficult to catch all the people that have committed the fraud afterwards, and then even more difficult to collect the money. So with the agencies, I worked with the Congress back in 2016, we passed this Fraud Reduction Act, and the agencies were slow to implement it, so they weren't very prepared for additional uh, funding. You need better internal controls, better management, more aggressive oversight, and I have about a dozen legislative proposals that right. I have to help deal with this issue going forward. I look forward to receiving that. So thank you for your insight. As I mentioned earlier in my opening statement, many of the issues we face today began long before the pandemic. The 2023 high-risk report served once again as an alarming reminder of the extent of the improper payment issues facing Medicare and Medicaid. Last year, Medicare improperly paid roughly $47 billion, and Medicaid improperly paid nearly $81 billion. Why do these programs have such massive issues with improper payments? Yeah, well, yeah, there's a lot of uh, factors that contribute to it. In Medicare, what needs to be done is there needs to be more timely measures of the contract audits for Medicare Advantage, which is about half of the spending in Medicare mm -hmm. now. Uh, CMS still hasn't released the audits from the 21 to 2015 or 2011 uh, to 2015 area. So we're way behind in auditing the managed care plans. That's unacceptable, by the way, but, but I, yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there also needs to be legislation to allow for recovery auditors, which have proven through a pilot to, to do some pre-audits ahead of time. I've suggested more pre-authorizations which have been studied and may, don't hold up benefits, but provide more program integrity. In Medicaid, I don't believe the estimates as bad as they are, are complete. I don't think we have a good estimate yet of the managed care portion of Medicaid program. There's a big problem with provider screening and beneficiary eligibility determinations. This was paused during the pandemic. 
So when, once that resumes, which starts this month, I expect those improper um, payment estimates to increase, but that needs to be dealt with, and I think the state auditors need to be involved okay. more in providing oversight over that program, which is administered okay. at the state level. Well, thank you. We look forward to your legislative uh, uh, legislative advice and uh, look forward to this hearing. Uh, that was James Comer, the Oversight Committee Chairman in the House of Representatives. You're going to hear a little bit later in the show today another big report that Comer is involved with. Comer, it's, it's Comey, James. No, it's Comer. Anyway, you're going to hear a little bit later about him. Fraud and corruption. A couple of hundred billion dollars here, 1.3 trillion over here. These are your tax dollars. Every dime that was lost, that uh, GAO, that's Government Administrative Oversight Committee, it's an individual organization that they're over the money operations in every branch of the government. They're the ones that oversee it all. And this guy's telling us, you know, basically, we're so big. Our government's so big, there's so much money coming in that it is going out like in fire hoses. And much of it, much of it, billions and trillions of dollars are being wasted or being distributed to the wrong people in the wrong volume. Nobody's being held accountable. Accountability, we keep going back to that. That's what laws are all about. There are so many federal laws that are not even being looked at, let alone being enforced. People don't have enough time, or it doesn't fit the political narrative. And so we just ignore them. You think this mess at the southern border exists in a vacuum? Of course it doesn't. It's happening across the nation, and not just in the federal government, state governments, every government. When the people pay tax dollars, people and government find ways to advantage themselves with those tax dollars paid in by the electorate. That is just the way it happens. It's sad, but the love of money is the root of all evil. We can't get away from that. It's a fact. And we see it playing out every day in our lives at every level. So why would you keep doing the same thing over and over, which is just looking the other way, and then get upset about the results that just keep happening the same way? Definition of insanity. If you just keep doing the same stuff and you want different results, basically, that's insane. And that's the way our government's operating today. I'm sad to say, but it is fact. When you're fed up with the nagging heartburn of today's lies, how do you spell relief? TNN, the Truth News Network. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Mm. Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive, no drama. 
When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. You know, something we seldom talk about here at TNN Live is the automobile industry. You know, explicitly, we talk about the EV debacles that are out there, but we never get really specific about a caught automaker, any of their models that they're selling or not selling, any issues, unless there's some big recall, we never mention it. You, most of you don't know me. I drive a 2017 Lincoln Continental sedan. And there's a long story behind it. I won't bore you, but that's the car that came out about, well, 2017. And it's a sedan. It is the vehicle that was envisioned by Ford Motor Company when they bought Jaguar. They really wanted the engineers that would come into their organization that designed the sedans that had been sold for years in Europe and other places, Jaguar. And so... In 2017, it took them about 10 years to put that project all together. They came out with this car, and it is a blockbuster. I had driven a foreign domestic line of cars for years. Um, and in, I guess it was December of 2016, right before 2017, I was in the process of changing cars. A friend of mine, Lincoln Mercury dealer, he called me and said, hey, you got to drive this car before you buy this other one. I didn't want to do it for a lot of reasons, but I grew up in my first career, I guess, no, maybe my second career. I worked in the automobile business and at a Ford Lincoln Mercury dealer. And the old Lincoln Continental was grandma's car. You know what I'm talking about, those big, I mean, huge town cars that took up a city block. And so I had that stigma in my head. He sent it over to my office. And when I drove it, I couldn't believe it. It did everything that this big luxury car line, that foreign car that I'd been driving for years did. I mean, everything. Did some more. Had more room inside. And it was $55,000 cheaper. So I bought the Lincoln. This morning, when I went to my 6 o'clock prayer meeting, I rolled over 97,000 miles on that car. It still drives, rides, and performs just like it did the day that I bought it. And it still beats that foreign-made luxury car that I drove. I'm telling you that story to tell you this. Ford Motor Company has stopped manufacturing sedans. And did you realize most other automakers are doing the same thing? They're all going to SUVs or SUV crossovers, doing two and three versions in their line. No cars, no cars. If they do any cars, they're going to be little. Ford Motor Company, they're making history now by they're telling us they're going to import its next generation Lincoln Nautilus 
from China. Ford Motor Company began <laughs> began the entire motor company industry in Detroit. And they're going to get their new top-line vehicle, a crossover SUV, a Nautilus. They're getting them built in China. It's the first time ever to do this. And this comes as backlash mounts against a planned Ford plant in Marshall, Michigan, that involves China's premier electric vehicle battery supplier. Here we go. The precious elements that are necessary to build car batteries They don't come anywhere in the United States. They're mined overseas. Afghanistan, one place. Across Africa, another place. So what did China do? They reached out and started buying all the mines for these precious metals that are necessary to build the batteries that go in these EVs, electric vehicles. This month, Ford execs announced that Lincoln Nautilus, not just the batteries, the car, It's going to be made in China, imported to sell to us here in the United States. Now, what does that mean? Well, who normally would be making those Lincoln Nautiluses? Somebody lives around the corner from you. Now, uh uh-uh. The dealership that they come to would be the only place, and the repair shop, of course, the sales operation. This is a Biden deal. A Biden deal. This is another one. I can't, first of all, believe that these automakers, and Ford, I think, is the first one to make it public. They're not going to build any more sedans. It's because they're pushed to transition away from gas and going to electric. And so that means they have to make them smaller and weigh a lot less so that those batteries will provide the energy that's necessary to let people get from point A to point B. Very simple. If you don't have gas stations, (laughs) you're going to need battery charging stations, and it's not pull up at a gas station, put the nozzle in your tank, and run inside to get a Frosty while your car is fueling up, And 10 minutes later, you pull out and you've got another 300 miles worth of transportation fuel. It doesn't work that way. Some cases, two hours of electric charging to get another 250 miles. If you've got to drive, well, I'll give you an example. My son's driving from Fort Worth to Atlanta, Georgia in a couple of weeks. If he was doing it in an electric vehicle, he would have to add at least four hours of transportation time in both ways. Why? Stopping to charge the batteries in that electric vehicle that he's going in. This climate mess, besides you heard the uh, inspector of that GAO talking about the lost money, the horrible lost money because of all of these climate change green energy deals that the Biden administration has been pushing out. Besides that, they just don't make sense. There's no logic to it. Nobody's talking about this, but do you know how long batteries last at your house? Well, do you know batteries in a car have a shelf life? And the more they're driven, the more those batteries' capabilities are depleted 
They've got to be replaced. Do you know what the cost is for electric battery replacement in an electric vehicle? i tell you what we're going to do. During our next break, I'm going to get you some numbers. It will blow your mind, but every dime that they are telling the American people, if we do this, you're going to save money, you're going to be good to the climate, all those things. When you put the dollars and cents together, they make no sense. None of it adds up. It adds up, but it adds up to lean the other way away from the consumer, leaning to, well, maybe now, China. When government gets involved in anything, in planning, in projecting, it's always based on the whims of those who are paying the government entities and people the most money. Where, where, where and what am I talking about? I'm talking about campaign dollars. You have people out there, oh, I don't know, in the battery business. So what are they going to push? Who are they going to support? Are they going to support these legislators from places like Texas and Louisiana and Florida that produce a bunch of oil and gas stuff? No, 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 no. Oh, no. They don't want to do that because they are not getting any under-the-table money. Legislators aren't. Or big campaign contributions or lobbying trips or any of that kind of stuff. They're going to, they're going to feed the one that feeds them. Quid pro quo. How do you think Joe Biden got the name quid pro quo Joe? He's a master at you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Don't think for a second. That's not how government rules. It is exactly how they rule. And what's best for the American people? It may come into consideration at some point, but when they're looking at this concept that's brought before them in every area of living, People are coming to Congress and saying, look, we've got this. We can do this. What do you think? We'll do this if you do this in legislation. It's all quid pro quo. Lincoln, <laughs> Lincoln Nautilus is going to be manufactured totally in China now. And Lincoln and Mercury, not making any more sedans. They're all many crossovers, crossovers or SUVs. And, and I like a sedan. <laughs> I just do. I'm a big guy. I've always driven comfortably. Obviously, since December of 2016, I've put 97,000 miles on my car. So I drive quite a bit. And I'm, I'm not going to have the ability to be able to choose what I want to drive. I, I, I went to um, my local Lincoln dealer, Lincoln Mercury dealer, Ford Lincoln Mercury dealer, and got service done a few weeks ago. And while they were changing the oil in my car, I went to the showroom and looking for a salesman. And I one came up, introduced myself, and I said, What's what where where are the Lincoln Continentals? We don't have any. Well, were the new models coming out or something? He said, Oh no, they quit manufacturing them last year. And he broke it into me. He said, It's the best Kelling car, the Lincoln Continental, the one that I'm driving. And Lincoln Mercury history. In fact, he said at the end of the last year that we manufactured them a year ago, he said we were selling them 
easily over list price. We sold everyone we could get. We're actually looking for used ones to buy and resell because they are so popular. And I asked him, I said, well, why, why would Ford stop manufacturing their best-selling car? And he said, it's all about electric vehicles. Every law break, uh, lawmaker, uh, they're all in the tank now for all of the policies that are necessary in legislation to prop up climate change, green energy deal stuff regarding electric vehicles. And these big cars, you can't get battery power, enough battery power to operate them the same way you do little vehicles, and it makes transportation change 100% a consideration of what people drive. More and more of this stuff is coming out, I promise you. In fact, in just a little bit, when I when I go to a break and I look at the, uh, the EV battery cost for a car, I'm also, when we come out of that break, I'm going to break it down for you how much it really costs to drive an electric vehicle. Some good news coming out of North Carolina for Republicans. They got a big win from the North Carolina Supreme Court, and it's going to help Republicans in the election coming up next year. The North Carolina Supreme Court, they threw out a ruling that they had made previously against gerrymandered districting in the state. They did this late Friday. And they also upheld, listen to this, a photo ID voting law and what is being touted as a victory for Republicans. This gerrymandering, you know what that is? That's where a state can change, move its uh, voting lines from place to place. And legislatures do it all the time, and they want to find pockets of if this neighborhood or this region of town, it's, it's more Republican. So we want to expand the lines a little bit in that voting district. That's called gerrymandering. This recent partisan gerrymandering ruling from this brand new Supreme Court in which conservatives now have a 5-2 advantage. It's going to simplify the process for the Republican-controlled legislature to assist the Republican Party in getting some additional seats in the House of Representatives. So when the court leaned Democrat back in December, it then threw out a state Senate map that was created by the Republican-led state legislature, and they maintained congressional boundaries that had been in place before it was drawn up by trial judges. This ruling that came out in December came from a landmark decision back in February a year ago. That landmark decision ruled state courts have the ability to throw out district lines that would give an unfair advantage to one political party in a narrowly divided state. And these districts are supposed to be drawn not based upon political party of those that live in the districts, but putting them together based on population within each district. The Republicans on the court push back against that ruling, and they're arguing that congressional districting should only be done under the purview of elected lawmakers. That makes sense. Democrats won seven of the 14 congressional seats in the state during the previous year's election with the old map. So in this Friday ruling, the majority opinion, which is Republican, Chief Justice Paul Newby, he wrote that the 
previous court was wrong when they found that the state constitution prohibited partisan gerrymandering. Here's what he said. He wrote this in his opinion. In its decision, the court returns to its tradition of honoring the constitutional roles assigned to each branch. This case is not about partisan politics, but rather about realigning the proper roles of the judicial and legislative branches. They also tossed out, by the way, a trial court decision that restored voting rights to convicted felons who have not completed their probation or their parole. In other words, just a big push for some lawlessness, making things legal that have always been illegal, going against laws and doing it strictly for political purposes. Now, Democrats would be, and they're already saying, well, this is down a party line. GOP now has control on the court, so Democrats aren't going to have anything good go right in the uh, North Carolina Supreme Court. Remember this. North Carolina Supreme Court judges, they are elected by the people. Here we go. The people's voice. Now, it looks to me like it's a fact. North Carolina, the population is more Republican than Democrat. And in these elections, that the structure of the elections are made by the people's representatives in the people's house and Senate in North Carolina. If you don't like something, legally change it. Don't do it arbitrarily. Look at our federal government. Everything's being done arbitrarily. Everything is. I'm going to get that battery information for you right after this. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please forgive us for never washing our hands. Ever. Schneider. The beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. Hey, what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these days. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Who's us? Supermodels? What do you model? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Separating fact 
from fiction, arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The truth on TNN, truthnewsnet.org. I'm just perusing all of the electric vehicle ads I've seen on television and heard on radio. And boy, I hear about all the good things and how quiet they are and, you know, how climate friendly they are. Not one time I've ever heard anybody advertise the cost of replacing car batteries for electric vehicles. So why don't we just take a minute and uh, look at a few of the, the biggest Let's start with BMW i3. It's a little car. Replacing the batteries, $16,000. A Chevy Bolt, $16,250. A Hyundai, a Hyundai, $2,853. A Nissan Leaf, $9,500. A Tesla Model 3, you know, it's kind of the little one. $15,799. The Model S, Tesla Model S, it would be their sports car looking thing, $22,000. Volkswagen Golf, $23,442. Now, how long do they last? Nobody's telling us that. I can't find the shelf life. Let me see if I maybe can look down here. There's a cost to replace if it's out of warranty. Up to five years. Up to five years. Up to somewhere in between there and five. So, I mean, we're looking at some big numbers that aren't being told to people that are out there shopping for these electric vehicles. Our government, remember, is demanding that electric vehicles are going to take over. And we're not going to have carbon emission controlled and operated vehicles anymore. Nobody's talking about batteries and what it takes to get them and create them and where all that's coming from. We all know China's going to control it. They've already got Lincoln making a Nautilus, which is a really nice SUV, totally in China. And the batteries, ooh-hoo, a Chinese-owned battery plant in Michigan. There you go taking more jobs away from Americans and doing it, giving them up gladly to the Chinese. Here's some things about electric cars. You probably haven't thought about any of this. Now, remember, if they don't use gasoline, which obviously they don't, they're not going to participate in paying a gasoline tax on every gallon that is sold. That was enacted some years ago to help, I don't know, maintain our roads and bridges. They're going to use the roads. They're going to use the bridges, but they won't be paying for any maintenance. And in case you were thinking about buying hybrid, ever since the advent of electric cars, the real cost per mile of those things had never really been discussed. All you ever hear was the miles per gallon in terms of gasoline, with not a mention about the cost of electricity to run it. Nobody thinks about that. Electricity has to be one of the least efficient ways to power things. It's not so much about saving money in most electric-operated things. It's about convenience. 
Glad somebody finally put engineering and math on a paper. Listen to this. Enter one BC Hydro executive, an electrical scientist, and he was asked how that renewable thing was doing, electric vehicles, and he laughed. He said, if you really entered and you intend to adopt electric vehicles, you got to face certain realities. For example, a home charging system for a Tesla. It requires 75 amp surface. Now, to you and me, just regular novice about this, we'll just say, okay, you know, we'll just run another electric cart out in the garage. Need a 75 amp surface. The average house in America is equipped with a 100 amp surface. On my street, right here where I live, we have about, on just this street, about 25 homes. So the electrical infrastructure in my subdivision where I live, which is a brand new subdivision, plan, master plan, it was put together. It's got its service, basic service. And the infrastructure here would be unable to carry more than three houses that had, say, a single Tesla in each garage. For even half these homes to have EVs, the system would be wildly overloaded. This is the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about. Our residential infrastructure can't bear the load. So as our elected folks promote this nonsense, not only are we going to be told to buy these things and replace our reliable, cheap-generating systems with expensive new windmills and solar cells, We'll also have to renovate our entire electric delivery system nationwide. This investment, that's what they call every spending thing they do, it's not going to be given to us. We won't know how much until we're so far down this dead-end road that it's going to be presented with an oops and a shrug, kind of like Joe Biden's Investment Reduction Act. Oh, my gosh, Inflation Reduction Act. You remember we were told we're going to save all kind of money. This is going to drop inflation, save all kind of money. It comes out on Friday and released late Friday after the news. People pretty much shut down. It's really going to cost a trillion extra dollars. A trillion. So if you want to argue with somebody, you know, one of those Green New Deal people, over cars that are eco-friendly. Think again. This eco-scientist, his name was Eric, he test drove a Chevy Volt. General Motors wanted him to do it and write an analysis. He said for four days in a row, the fully charged battery lasted only 25 miles before the Volt switched over to the reserve gas tank. It's a hybrid. He calculated the car got 30 miles per gallon, including the 25 miles it ran on the battery. So the range that included the 9-gallon gas tank and the 16-kilowatt battery is about 270 miles. It'll take you four and a half hours to drive 270 miles at 60 miles an hour. Then you have to add 10 hours to charge the battery. And you have a total trip time of 14 and a half hours. And a typical road trip, your average speed, including charging time, would be 20 
miles per hour. Now, according to GM, the Volt battery holds 16 kilowatts of electricity. It takes a full 10 hours to charge a fully drained battery. The cost for the electricity, oh, you know, it's cheap. It was never mentioned. So, let me mention it to you. I pay about, and it varies with the time of the season, $1.16 per kilowatt. 16 kilowatts times $1.16 per kilowatt is $18.56 to charge a battery. $18.56 per charge divided by 25 miles is 74 cents a mile to operate the volt using the battery. So how does this compare to a car similar size with a gasoline engine that gets only 32 miles per gallon? $3.19 a gallon divided by 32 miles per gallon is 10 cents a mile. You want to do the math or you want me to? (laughs) The electric car, it's costing 74 cents per mile. And this is being very conservative in computing cost. And we're talking about $3.19 a gallon for gasoline. The electric car, again, 74 cents per mile is what it costs. Gas car, 10 cents a mile. The gas car costs about $25,000, while the Volt is about $46,000 or more. So the American government wants loyal Americans not to do the math, but just pay twice as much for a car, maybe not twice, but maybe 50-60% more, that costs more than seven times as much to operate, and it takes three times longer to drive across the nation. There you have it, green energy folks. If you don't talk about it, it's like it's not there. It doesn't exist, and they certainly don't want us to talk about it. Now, let me blow your mind with something that's going on right now. It started this morning in Houston, Texas. I'm born in Houston. I got family all over Houston. Texas is holding a week-long nuclear training exercise that's not led by the military. You would think if we're planning or preparing for a nuclear conflict, we'd have the military involved. Nope, this one's being managed by the FBI. And the FBI over the weekend, very surprisingly, nobody was prepared for it. They told Houston residents that a week-long nuclear incident training exercise is going to happen all this week, and it's already started this morning. A large-scale, multi-agency nuclear incident training exercise is going to take place May 1 through May 5th in southeast Houston in Harris County. The training exercise will not pose risk to area residents. Please do not be alarmed by training-related activity. That's from the FBI office in Houston. And it's going to take place from in and around NRG Park in South Houston all the way up to I-10 East and in and around Ellington Field. If you know anything about Houston, you know that's pretty much the heart of the city. Please don't be alarmed by training-related activity, including presence of 
military personnel and aircraft and people in protective equipment, the FBI noted. Last May, Department of Energy's National Nuclear Security Administration, they did a similar major radiological incident exercise, but that one was in Austin. Why are they picking Texas to be the place to have these nuclear training events? And that one last year, more than 30 local, state, and federal agencies were said to have taken part in that exercise, and they called it Cobalt Magnet 2022. And they moved around. They worked on it at various locations in Austin, and it was meant to simulate a radiological attack, enabling response personnel to practice protecting public health and safety and giving emergency release when necessary to affected people in the population and restoring its essential services. This is kind of spooky to me. I don't know about you. But nuclear preparation for an attack and doing it in the same state last year and again this year? Is there something going on we need to know about? That's an important question. We ought, to, we ought to ask that of the proper people. Let's switch gears. Our vice president. You know, it's interesting. I'm sure you've noticed the last couple of weeks, all of a sudden, the Democrat Party, they have started talking up Kamala Harris, telling us how sharp she is and how on point she is and the great job that she's been doing as vice president. Now, everybody knows pretty much in most administrations, a vice president is a placeholder, pretty much to be the person if and when something happens to a sitting president. This person has lived in and through all of the policies, the legislative stuff, and everything, foreign policy, everything with the president. So kind of has an inside scoop. Now they want us to think Kamala Harris is in the same position with Joe Biden. She's not. <laughs> I know that may surprise some of you, but she's not quite there. You want an example? Kamala Harris, uh, now and then. Here she is yesterday. I think it's very important, mm -hmm. as you have heard from so many, so many. incredible leaders. Yes. For us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, yeah. mm -hmm. to see the moment in time in which we exist and are present. Wow. And to be able to contextualize it, to understand where we exist in the history and in the moment as it relates not only to the past but the future. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. She doesn't say anything. She's so many words and nothing... Of substance, I ever don't think comes she out. doesn't have a. She cannot have a writer. What the hell is that? She's so she's that weird thing where she'll say the exact same phrase three or four times in a row. Yeah, let's just realize that we're in the moment. This uh, this moment, moment in time. This moment what about in, in time. In time, in time, we're in this moment, and, and that's the moment. Live in this moment. This moment. Back. I just can't imagine a circumstance. I just can't imagine a circumstance in which Kamala Harris would do a good job. Not because maybe she doesn't want to, but I just don't think she can. I don't know about you. You figure it out. There's big news coming out this morning about the IRS. And I know everybody 
I know everybody is all over this. We're going to look at that right after this message. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids done bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Huh? I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Compare it to smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh... Jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. I can't just send it to Amazon USA. <laughs> you know, I wonder if they really do have that built into the Amazon um, Echo thing. That's that's a very unique instrument. It's just amazing me to realize that um, there probably is a whole lot that is said for having an Amazon or any other talking bat AI artificial intelligence entity uh, designed specifically to talk to us old folks because many of us have a little bit of cognitive decline even if we can't match our president we're kind of forgetting a few things I told you about something with the IRS we're going to get to that in just a second but this particular thing this news comes from the IRS you know we hear all the time about all these big states political left governed states like California, New York, and Illinois, how people are leaving. So you know how to figure out exactly how people are, are leaving and what it's costing these three states, specifically California, New York, and Illinois. Listen to this. 
the latest tax migration data. They've actually created that entity or that report at the IRS. The latest one shows the exodus of taxpayers from high states continued from 2020 to 2021. California, New York, and Illinois, some of the nation's biggest losses of people in along with people goes money. And the way to look at how this is hurting those states, look at their tax base. Example, California's task, tax base shrank by nearly 30 billion, billion with a B, dollars, as the Golden State saw a net loss of 332,000 taxpayers and their dependents during a time of widespread lockdowns, stay-at-home orders, and business closures. Now, this is according to the IRS. Second place, New York, hit hard by a net loss of $24.5 billion and over a quarter of a million people. Illinois came in third, net loss of $11 billion and 105,000 people. Other high-tax states like Massachusetts, they lost $2.6 billion, New Jersey $2.3 billion, and they saw tens of thousands of people that were moving during the period. But let's look at the flip side of this. If it's bad over here, it means it's got to be good somewhere else, right? Florida, they really reaped the benefits of the wealth migration more than any other state. They got a net gain of $40 billion in gross income from a quarter of a million new residents. Texas, they gained $11 billion, 175,000 people, and they were second. They're followed by Nevada, $4.6 billion, North Carolina, $4.5 billion, Arizona, $4.4 billion, South Carolina, $4.2 billion, and Tennessee, $4.1 billion. Now, how did they do this, the IRS? Here's how they came up with the numbers. The data was compiled, and they did it by comparing the mailing addresses on one year's income tax return and that of the next. That makes sense. The most recent migration data reflects address changes that happened between when taxpayers filed their tax year 2019 returns in calendar year 2020, of course, and when they filed their tax year 2020 returns in calendar year 2021. Even before the pandemic, California had already seen a net outflow of people and money to other states. According to previous IRS data, California lost $8 billion in income in 2018 alone and another $8.8 billion in 2019. California still takes in more tax revenue than any other state because of its tax structure, which it places higher rates on wealthy residents, of course. Governor Newsom, who wants to be president, he's been out there kind of kicking tires around the nation, going to conservative states, trying to make some noise. And all he did in that little circle trip, that tour, was make himself look foolish he announced in May last year that his state had a historic $97.5 billion budget surplus. Now, there's a question that's out there, and it's still out there, over the stability of such a system that relies on taxing the top 1% of earners. In all three of those top states, they do that. New York, 
Illinois, and California, California especially. In January this year, just eight months after the Governor Newsom unveiled the unprecedented budget surplus, he asked lawmakers to cut billions of dollars of investment and put expensive programs on hold because they needed to balance a $22.5 billion budget deficit in case their tax revenues didn't rebound after the pandemic like he just knew they would. In New York, another Democrat-led state legislature, they reached a deal with their governor, Kathy Hochul, who resisted a plan to increase tax raise on those earning more than $5 million, $25 million a year from 2.9% to 11.4%. And like California, New York generated billions of dollars in budget surplus from previous tax hikes on rich New Yorkers, many of who are gone, quarter of a million of them. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, who's a multimillionaire himself, He recently questioned whether his state is even losing population, claiming the state has grown. He said, we did not lose population, as you saw, when Census Bureau data came through for the 2020 census. He said this in March. We actually gained population, especially as they look more closely after the initial announcements at what happened state to state. Yeah, Governor Pritzker, they're just flocking wanting to live in the inner cities and in the suburbs of Chicago in your state where people are slaughtered in the dozens. And it's no big deal on Monday morning when we hear that two dozen, three dozen people were shot in Chicago and, you know, 10, 15 died. You know what's most amazing to me about this? These, these lawmakers in these, in these states, the big ones, They are so snotty. They think everybody who thinks they don't know what they're doing and that they're doing things bad, they think we're stupid. But we're not the ones that are suborning criminality because we don't enforce our laws. And those, especially those three states, California, Illinois, and New York, they are the most impossible states to privately own guns. In fact, Chicago itself has the most egregious gun laws of any city in the nation. But what do those egregious gun laws stop? They don't stop criminality, obviously. What they do is they stop law-abiding Americans, make it difficult for law-abiding Americans to purchase guns. And speaking of guns... Here's a good question asked collectively by Larry Kudlow, Grover Norquist, over the weekend. Why are these new IRS agents, or any IRS agents, why are they packing heat? We've been notified, most of, if not all of these new agents that they're bringing in that are out in the field are going to carry weapons. Why? All right, folks, let's move right along. How about this? We ta- we started the show with this. Disarm the IRS. Let's save America and disarm the IRS. Let's talk about it with Grover Norquist, president of Americans with Tax Reform. Grover, uh, you know, I'm an LLC. I don't know how you're categorized. 
I might have a tax debate with some IRS agent. Um, I wouldn't feel that good if he, he or she pulled a gun on me. Why do they need guns? I, I mean, computers, yes. Common horse sense, yes. Guns, really? The IRS now, or at least a few years ago, when the inspector generals were looking at it, uh, had 4,600 different guns <laughs> and 5 million rounds of ammunition. Yep. That's not enough for Biden and the Democrats. They are out hiring today um, at least 360, maybe 1,200 over the next three years. This is from the head of the IRS when he testified um, yesterday at the hearings that uh, the Ways and Means Committee had. The, everybody should go watch that on C-SPAN. Jason Smith, the chairman, put together the best set of hearings I've ever heard. They had the head of the IRS admitting, yes, that was true, to things that they'd been denying in the past, things that were written up in government studies, but denied by the establishment press or ignored by the establishment press and denied, and denied by previous uh, heads of the IRS. There's a, there are heavily armed guys, but how dangerous are they? Dangerous to themselves as well as everybody else. The inspector general reports find out when they pull the trigger, the IRS, half the time it's a mistake. I know, I read that. They admit that people have been wounded. Yeah. People have been wounded. Stuff has been destroyed. But they won't tell you what, who got hurt or what got hurt because it would make them feel bad or look bad. The, the people are not doing the practice they're supposed to with the guns they have, never mind the new ones. Good. When they advertise for people, in the ad it says you've got to be ready to kill somebody. That's what? nice. Just Grover. I, in a, Deadly force. I know. It's just, I don't, Grover, what is the stated purpose? I understand we were showing the Untouchables movie at the top of the show on this. I understand why Kevin Costner had to have a gun going against Al Capone, all right, and Sean Connery and the rest of them. But why, seriously, what is the, we only have a little bit of time, but what, what is the stated purpose of uh, unlimited force and having these guns? What, what, what is it that they want to do? To intimidate. Back in the 90s, they got oh. caught breaking into people's houses, oh. scaring kids, wow. going into businesses. And it was it, they had hearings back then that were so awful, mm. they backed off. Huh. They're hoping people forget how bad it's been. That's interesting. You know, I forgot about that. I, you're right. You're absolutely right. So I don't I think I'm, I, it's, I think I'm right. I'm saying save America, disarm the IRS. Disarm them. They don't need this stuff. In fact, we don't need all them. I know that. In the okay. They've gone in and taken cash from people saying, we think maybe this is what you owe your money on, like civil asset forfeiture. Oh. Good luck as a first or second generation immigrant trying to run a small business. And the IRS comes in, starts a conversation with you without telling you they're cops, thinks they heard you say something, take your cash, try and get it back. Wow. And when they do have evidence... They don't keep it properly. The inspector generals found it was lying all around. Mm. You couldn't convict anybody in a real trial mm. of something, given that they don't even keep track all of right. the evidence they're supposed to be watching. All right. it, Is that a just a little bit disarming to you? And I, I use the term disarming, and I didn't put it in that context of, you know, the IRS agents carrying, packing heat, carrying guns. But nevertheless, can you imagine a situation, even if you're an immigrant, just think about it, especially these illegal immigrants that come in. 
they got to always be looking over their shoulders. And all of a sudden, IRS agents come in, but you don't know they're IRS RS agents. And they come in and they just grab, maybe you're a business, and they go over and grab money out of the cash register, force you to give it up or whatever, almost like stealing it from you. And then you have to go figure out a way to get it back. Fighting the federal government is virtually impossible. You've got to be armed with a lot of money and some of the best lawyers there are, no matter what particular circumstance applies to you and what your problem is. And they know it, but now they're going to be packing heat. That's insane. At the same time that's going on, that's not the only thing that is a little weird going on in our government. We're finding out that authorities, U.S. authorities, have rejected multiple people who have sought compensation for COVID-19 vaccine injuries. And this is despite the diagnoses that these are adverse events from vaccinations. Documents show it, and they present that to the government not good enough. Letters from some of these U.S. people show officials are contradicting doctors who treated patients as they turned down requests for payment. A guy named Cody Flint, an example. Here's an agricultural pilot. He was diagnosed by four different doctors with a severe adverse reaction to Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. And there is a process that was built into this, and it's always been there for the federal government. If you have a fully endorsed vaccine and people take it and there are adverse, adverse reactions to it that are serious, you can file a claim. So this guy, Cody Flint, right after he got vaccinated, he started experiencing intense head pressure, and it led to problems such as perilymphatic fistula, now, this is from the doctors, multiple doctors. He sent a bunch of medical files, including evidence of the diagnoses, and he sent them to what's called the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, CICP. And it's been around for a long time. It compensates people who prove they were injured, in this case, by a COVID-19 shot. But here we go, trying to get money get the government to do the right thing. Administrators for this program, they rejected his application and sent him a denial letter. And the letter, among other things, said they did not find the requisite evidence that the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccination caused the conditions that he has. Flint's in his 30s. He felt his first symptoms within an hour of being vaccinated. An onslaught of these severe symptoms followed while he was flying two days later. Think about that. One second, he said, I went from having burning in the back of my neck and tunnel vision. The very next second, I was slumped over in my airplane. The best way I know to describe it, it was like a bomb went off inside my head. So the CICP administrators, when they got the claims, they told him that compelling, reliable, and valid medical and scientific evidence does not support a causal association between the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine and benign perioximal positional vertigo, paralymphatic fistulas, 
increased intracranial pressure, eustachian tube dysfunction, hearing loss, or loss of eyesight. (laughs) Can you throw all of those into a bucket and pull out just one of them? And I would think that would be pretty critical. And they also tried to pin the problems on barotrauma. Now, in the business, that's known as airplane ear. Barotrauma happens when air pressure suddenly changes, and it's common as as planes climb higher in the sky and when they go down. You experience it when you fly commercial. You know what I'm talking about. Barotrauma causes the fistulas, and symptoms of the fistulas began while flying. Flint and his doctors, plural, doctors, they said in filing appeal letters that the barrow trauma theory doesn't hold up because Flint flies low because he's a crop duster. Well, that makes sense. His condition is not from barrow trauma. That's what Flint's doctors told the CICP, quote, As an agricultural pilot, he does not fly more than a couple of hundred feet off the ground, which is not of a magnitude to where he is at risk for barotrauma. And this thing just gets deeper and deeper. These people are trying to keep from having any kind of liability for what happened to him. Elevated intracranial pressure has been recognized as a complication of COVID vaxis. And given the sequence of events, more probable than not, it is the cause of Flint's elevated intracranial pressure, which had been documented on lumbar puncture. Now, these are his doctors, and they're saying this in an appeal. The elevated intracranial pressure led to his paralymphatic fistula. Elevated intracranial pressure is a cause for paralymphatic fistula and more probable. So this CICP determination, when they appealed, it was reviewed by a panel that sided with the administrators, of course. The panel found that the COVID-19 vaccine did not cause Flint to develop bilateral paralymphatic fistulas and other related symptoms. This administrator is Suma Nair, and he told Flint in a final denial letter, there is no compelling causal connection between the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine and the symptomology Mr. Flint experienced. The more likely cause of Mr. Flint's symptoms is trauma from flying a plane, which would have developed over time anyway. Administrators cited no studies or other evidence in their letters. How do you combat this if you're an everyday crop duster? I mean, do you have the access to the information that this administrator said there was not that could back up your claim? And what is that? Remember, administrators cited no studies or other evidence in their letters. Who would conduct these studies? Well, it would be uh, Pfizer. Pfizer in this case. Do you remember on this show, the whole time we were going through the vax this, the vax that, VAERS, adverse reactions, all that kind of stuff for years. I told you again and again and again, none of those vaccines, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, or Pfizer, none of them 
that was being given to Americans or people in the United States of America had ever been fully approved by the FDA. So what does that mean? It means this and only this. This is the reason why none of those manufacturers wanted them to be approved, fully approved by the FDA. Because if that happens, then any adverse reactions that patients around the United States would have that require any kind of treatment, any kind of liability, like in this case, Flint's, they would have to pay it. Pfizer, Moderna, or Johnson & Johnson. But when it's not fully approved by the FDA, any medication, any adverse reaction, it falls at the feet of the federal government. The taxpayers are liable for any proven adverse reactions. And it's been that way for decades, for vaccinations of every kind. And so Pfizer, obviously, they floated around billions of dollars during this push to get these vaccinations on the market. Same thing with Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. And all of it ends up going to the federal government and people in the federal government and people like Dr. Anthony Fauci and some other folks. And that's fact. That's common factual information. Now, was it was it done for the right things? I mean, truthful, honest reasons? I can't answer that. But I do know, we've told you here again and again, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, the root of all evil, but the love of money, the root of all evil. And so you've got this guy, Flint, and he'll probably lose his whole career because he can't fly. He can't keep his license if these kind of things happen. And he didn't do anything but what the federal government told him and me and you and everybody. What you got to do, you got to go get vaccinated so you don't die and also so you don't infect others and they die. Never told us about the science that was out there, they did tell us to ignore the science that was out there, but they didn't give us any inkling of the possibility of any treatment other than those vaccinations would fix or take care of our COVID-19 pandemic. And then we find out after the fact, oh, we were wrong. Natural immunity was the best thing to combat COVID-19. And we just didn't realize that and So we just got it wrong, and we hate that for you. That's exactly what happened. Wow. I I told you that Representative Comer was going to be back in this hour talking about something else. He was in, he's the chairman of the Oversight Committee in the House of Representatives. So he's on top of a lot of things. I mean, a big broom, he's sweeping across the top. And uh, one of the things that he is looking at is what's going on in this Hunter Biden probe. Now, by the way, Hunter's in court right now, and he's in court over a uh, claim filed by the mother of his biological child. You know, the stripper, the stripper. He got her pregnant. She had the baby. It's been court tested. The baby is his. Ordered child support. 
and that ain't going like it's supposed to go. And don't forget, this is the granddaughter of the sitting president of the United States, scientifically proven to be the offspring of Hunter Biden. And Joe and Jill, neither one of them will even acknowledge this little baby girl that is their granddaughter. I can't imagine a scenario where any of my grandkids, any of them, would not have been acknowledged to be my kids, my grandkids, especially when the science says that they are my kids. And I'm going to support them. I'm going to, I'm going to be a grandfather to them. The most powerful man in the United States, that's questionable, I know, but he is in the most powerful position in politics, really in the world, as president of the United States, he won't even acknowledge his biological granddaughter. Wow. And so Hunter is under investigation. We know this. We've been told. The FBI told us a couple of years ago he was under investigation for tax fraud and buying a gun and uh, lying, committing a criminal act when he applied for this gun. He said he didn't ever have a problem with the illegal drugs, which he did. And that's common knowledge. He even admitted it in numerous cases. So there's a lot of people around that are being subpoenaed to come testify before James Comer's committee, this oversight committee. And the word is out now that a lot of these people are being intimidated and are being told, don't go, don't cooperate with the government in this probe. Welcome back to this special edition of Hannity. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer is sounding the alarm over possible witness intimidation in the Hunter Biden probe. He says some witnesses are now fearing for their lives and are afraid to come forward. So what does that mean for the IRS whistleblower accusing the government of interfering with the investigation into Hunter's taxes? Well, during recent congressional testimony, the IRS commissioner promised there would be no retaliation for anyone making allegations against the agency. Here now with the latest on all of this is House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer. Uh, uh, Representative Comer, thank you very much for being here with me tonight. Normally, when I am guest hosting for Sean, I'm the one that tends to bite you. And uh, but you're such a very good sport, and you're doing a great job. And this issue has become just dramatically serious. Uh, you know, the Hunter Biden thing is really about Joe Biden and that, that family and the corruption of that family. But it's also about the security of this country and if our agencies have been weaponized against the American people. These are serious allegations. How do you, how do you see this when it comes to the nature of threats that might, might, may have already been issued? And what are we going to do about it? Well, it's very concerning, and I'm sounding the alarm publicly. Uh, we know that some on Hunter Biden's legal team have made contact with some people that we've been communicating with to get information. We know that some on Hunter Biden's legal team have uh, reached out and uh, communicated with uh, some of the people that and institutions that we've subpoenaed. Wow. We know that uh, people within the Biden administration have reached out and expressed their disappointment with some of the people that have been subpoenaed and some of the people that are cooperating with us. And this is very concerning because this is an investigation about public corruption at the highest levels. This is an investigation to determine whether or not our White House, 
and, our, and this administration's compromised because of the millions and millions of dollars they've taken from adversaries around the world. So uh, we've got a situation where there are more and more people coming forward. You know, we're very thankful for the IRS whistleblower. And I'm pretty confident in the next few weeks we're going to have more whistleblowers come forward. So it's very important that our whistleblowers are protected and the Democrat politicians, the media, and uh, the legal team for the Biden family. They need to be very careful in not intimidating our witnesses because we need to get the truth and present the facts to the American people. You know, in the normal world, sir, if you were intimidating witnesses during an investigation, that would be a crime. Uh, is there, uh, and talking about it publicly is important, but it, it kind of also proves the point of why we need to investigate this family, because this is part and parcel of the corruption. When you're going out there trying to scare people into not talking, is there anything else we can do to keep this from continuing to make these whistleblowers feel safe enough to come forward? Well, we're sounding the alarm, as I said. Uh, we're, we have every Republican eye in Washington, D.C. on the whistleblower with the IRS that's going to come forward. We're going to make sure they're not retaliated. We're going to make sure that they're not intimidated. And we're going to make sure they can present the, the truth. You also have a situation where many of these people who were in the Biden uh, influence sphere uh, with the influence peddling scheme, they want to come forward and they want to tell the truth. But not only are they worried about Biden's lawyers and, and Democrat politicians and the media, they're also worried about some of these foreign nationals that they've been dealing with. Look, this money's not coming uh, from the, the best and brightest in our adversarial country. The, yeah. This money's coming from bad actors Great in point. bad countries. And that's why every American should be concerned that, uh, that we are successful in our investigation in getting every bit of evidence and presenting it to the American people without intimidation or, or without uh, any type of obstruction from this White House yeah. or this Department of Justice. Well, sir, uh, if anyone can do it, you can. And it is good that the American people know that this is happening. And you turn the light on, and it does seem to keep people uh, a bit safer because they're the, the country's at stake here. Uh, th uh, Chairman James Comer, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Who's holding who accountable for these things? If there's a federal investigation underway, well, let's just be honest. If it was Donald Trump, during the Mueller investigation, if somebody in Congress had stepped in and maybe called some of the people that the Mueller investigation team was talking to or wanted to talk to, and they discouraged them from participating in those conversations, you don't think that the government, the FBI, the DOJ would have been all over Donald Trump even when he was president, and they were looking into all this kind of stuff. Oh, obstruction of justice. There are such things as obstruction of Congress, and people have actually gone to jail for doing that. And so Biden's people are out there, and they're discouraging these whistleblowers from cooperating with Comer's committee. Some of these people have been subpoenaed. You think anything's going to happen? <laughs> you and I both know it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. There's no accountability for any Democrat when there's a Democrat administration, especially somebody sleeping in the White House that's a Democrat. There's corruption everywhere. <laughs> and it's not just in the Biden administration. It's not just in the White House. 
Was it Donald Trump when he was running for president that so adeptly named Washington and our government the swamp? I don't know if you know anything about swamps. I grew up in South Louisiana, and I spent a lot of time in swamps. I hunted, I fished, and there are swamps everywhere. And I was totally intimidated by why I saw in the swamp. There were gate. Have, have, you know what an alligator gar is? A gar is a fish. It's got like a long snout. And that's the way it kills fish to eat, other fish to eat. It's a predator. But an alligator gar is a massive, a huge gar. They're about as intimidating or even more so than an, a real alligator. And I saw a bunch of those in my days. Intimidation. That's one of the political tools that is used by parties that are in power to control people. Intimidation. There's something else that's happening right now. And this one kind of shocked me. You remember Jeffrey Epstein? That was the friend of all of the big Democrats and even some Republicans People around the world it was all involving sex and sex with young girls. Jeffrey Epstein was arrested, was put in jail, and was murdered in jail. In a newly released private calendar of Jeffrey Epstein, it showed he had scheduled meetings with a bunch of prominent individuals. People like, oh, the current CIA director after he was convicted as a sex offender. So in this calendar, the documents contain emails and scheduled meetings with now FBI, excuse me, CIA director William Burns, Bard College President Leon Botstein, Obama's White House counsel Catherine Rumler, and Professor Noam Chomsky. These meetings were scheduled between 2013 and 2017 after Epstein had served time in jail in 2008 for sex crimes that involved a teenage girl. So in the calendar, the reason for the meetings weren't revealed in a bunch of documents that were attached. Epstein was dogged for years by allegations that he had sexually abused girls and young women. He was found dead in his own Manhattan jail cell in August of 2019 while he was waiting trial on sex trafficking charges. And the city's medical examiner ruled it his death a suicide. Nobody believes that it was. Burns, the CIA director, who has been a director since 2021 under Joe Biden, he met with Epstein a decade ago and Burns was preparing to leave the government service at the time. The director did not know anything about him other than that he was introduced as an expert in the financial services sector and offered general advice on transition to the private sector. They had no relationship. Other documents contained in the private calendar showed that Burns, who visited Epstein in Washington and once went to his townhouse in Manhattan, had meetings scheduled with him in 2014. Bunch of other appointments with prominent folks were scheduled to take place at Epstein's townhouse, a place where prosecutors back in 2019 
they reveal that Epstein sexually abused some female victims, many of them under age, at that townhouse. Catherine Rumler, who was a White House counsel in the Obama administration and joined Goldman Sachs in 2020, had dozens of meetings planned with Epstein. She'd also been scheduled to join him on a trip to Paris in 2015 and a visit to Epstein's private island in the Caribbean in 2017. They first met after he called her to ask if she would be interested in representing Mr. Gates and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, a Goldman Sachs spokesman told the Wall Street Journal. Now, Bill Gates was a big buddy of Jeffrey Epstein, and he went to that Caribbean island that was fondly called Lolita Island, where it was rumored, and a lot of people have actually not discredited the rumor that it was a place to go to have casual sex with young women. There was a discussion between Epstein and his staff about whether Rumler would be uncomfortable with the presence of young women who worked as assistants at the townhouse. (laughs) That comes from some of these documents. Yeah. In emails in the documents, a few of the women alleged to have worked for Epstein, they asked if they should avoid the townhouse while Rumler was there. Epstein told one of them not to be around, but told the other it would be okay. So during her meetings at the townhouse, Rumler didn't express any concern about those women being there. Rumler had more than three dozen appointments with Epstein, including lunches and dinners. In the normal course, Epstein also invited her to meetings and social gatherings. He introduced her to other business contacts and made referrals. It was the same kinds of contacts and engagement she had with other contacts and clients, although I don't think the other contacts and clients were taking her to dinner and spending weekends with her at Lolita Island, flying down on Jeffrey Epstein's private jet to know to do anybody's guess. She was scheduled to join him on a flight to Paris in 2017 and his island home in the Virgin Islands for the day. Rumler never went to the island, it is told, never accepted an invitation or opportunity to fly with Jeffrey Epstein anywhere. Now that's coming from her boss at Goldman Sachs. Leon Botstein, the president of Bard College, had dozens of meetings with Epstein. The first in 2012 to thank him for his donations to the college, which continued. In 2015, Epstein donated 66 laptops to the school. I was an unsuccessful fundraiser and actually the object of a little bit of sadism on his part in dangling philanthropic support, Botstein said. That was my relationship with him. Nobody wants to admit anything that happened that was slightly um, unethical. (laughs) I can understand that. I know nothing. I don't want to be tied to a evil sexual despot who was in prison and was about to be investigated again for sex trafficking. Now, we're running out of time. 
Dadgummit, it's Monday. We're supposed to have a lot of extra time. Experts are recommending what's called Swedish death cleaning. That's a name for it. Swedish death cleaning, what is it? Thinking about how your loved ones are going to feel when they find all those things after you die, it might push us to start decluttering our lives. Swedish death cleaning. It's not as morbid as it sounds. It's starting to catch catch on. There's a new television show that focused on it, and it's going to pr- premiere this week. The idea, the Swedish death cleaning idea, is to clean out any of your unneeded items that you may have to avoid leaving an excess burden on your family members in case of your untimely death. Supporters of it, they cite boost in mental health, greater acceptance of death, easing the burden on loved ones. Anybody who has lost a family member knows the emotional toll of going through that old stuff. Experts say this type of cleaning could even ease that burden. Years following Marie Kondo's movement to get rid of anything that doesn't bring joy, another decluttering practice focuses on getting rid of your stuff before you die. Coined by Swedish artist Margarita Magnusson in her 2017 book, Swedish Death Cleaning is the idea of cleaning out your belongings so others don't have to do it after you die. I don't know how it is at your house, but at my house I have three children. And every one of them, they want access to everything. And I have fondly, very fondly told all of our kids, look, Here's the way I'm living my life financially. The last check I write before I die, I want it to bounce. (laughs) In other words, I'm spending all your money. You do your best to make your life as good as you can, as good as you want it. But don't wait on dad to kick off. (laughs) Because I'm I'm not going to take it with me, but I'm going to spend it before I go. That's a wrap on Monday, as always. Thank you for joining us here at TNN Live. Big week ahead, a lot going on and much more to happen, and we're on top of it all. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Central, right here at TNN Live. It don't matter to me If you really feel that You need some time to be free Time to go out searching for yourself Hoping to find Time to go to find It don't matter to me If you take up with someone who's better than me Cause your happiness is all I want Just as long as you're the last Everybody moving on and trying to find out what's been missing in the past And it don't matter to me If your searching brings you back together with me
Cause it don't matter to me 